Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I want to pray over us. Let's just turn our affection to Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Lord, just as Moses said, we don't want to move an inch if the cloud doesn't go with us. We're after the cloud this morning. We're after the fire. We're after you, Lord. And so this morning, let us not uh, encamp ourselves around a message or a sermon or a person or a personality, but let us encamp ourselves around the presence of Jesus. So Lord, we look at you this morning. We say, transform us. And we pray that we would know you more deeply and more intimately in Jesus' name. Can we say amen? Amen. You know, I felt, I felt prophetically last night when I was praying and preparing, I really felt um, something prophetically for this house. It may not, uh, may not resonate with everybody and that's okay, but I really feel like this summer will be a season for many of us in this house of realignment, of readjustment, and of reset that will ultimately birth a spiritual refresh in our lives. I feel some of you in here are just really weary. Like there's just been a weariness, a wear and tear on your heart, on your soul from what this year has brought you. And it's, it's become really routine the past five or 10 years of my life. Every single summer, without a doubt, the Lord always takes me back to my first love and reminds me of the main things, of what got me here to where I am this year. And so um, I, I love first love with Jesus. That is like my favorite topic to, to talk about. Um, but I remember whenever Emily and I started dating, we, you know, when you're, when you first fall in love and dating, it's like that person can do nothing wrong. They're just like perfect. They, you know, anything they do is just perfect. It's, it's, so we went on our first date, one of our first dates to this place overlooking a lake. It was beautiful. And uh, Emily likes seafood. I don't really care for seafood that much, but uh, she was reading the menu and saw that there was shrimp on the menu, but there was no price by the shrimp. It said market value. (laughs) I didn't know what that meant, (laughs) but I said, baby, you get your shrimp. If you want shrimp, get as much shrimp as you want. Go ahead, go for it. I don't care. I get the bill. You know me, I'm, you know, 18 years old and I see the bill, shrimp costs between 30 and $40 for that plate of shrimp. But guess what? I kept my mouth shut. I didn't say anything until like a year later. I said, hey, remember that time we went on our first date and you ordered shrimp, it cost me 30 or $40. It's like one thing to bring up in a fight. It's like, oh yeah, that one time you, you ordered shrimp. <laughs> no, I, I don't do that. But we were, uh, we celebrated our fifth year, our fifth wedding anniversary this past March. And we were at a, a Brazilian steakhouse and you know, those Brazilian steakhouses, um, it, they're amazing. It's like, you have to go. It's going to be like what heavenly food is going to be like, <laughs> but everything is really included. They bring out all these meats. And so the first thing they brought out was this, this huge bowl of shrimp that was on ice. And, um, he's like, Hey, do you want shrimp? And Emily's like, of course, sure. I want shrimp. And he lays the whole thing there. And I'm like, this is weird. Just laid the whole bowl of shrimp there. And we eat our meal. I get the bill. Everything was included except that bowl of shrimp. It cost another 30 or $40 (laughs) 
It's like this girl and her shrimp, right? And, and this time I was not nearly as kind with her about the shrimp as I was when we were first falling in love. <laughs> what happened? There, there's something really pure and precious about first love. That when you're in the place of first love with Jesus, you don't care what anything costs. You don't care about what it looks like. Just give me him. Give me the one I love. Give me him. It, first love doesn't ask questions. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't ask, how, what, what does it cost? It just is like, give me him. I see Jesus. I want him. It, it doesn't ask for, for anything else. And in Revelation 2, Jesus speaks to the church of Ephesus and he says, you're doing all these things right, except this one thing I have against you. And this, when you lose this one thing, you lose everything. And it's this, you left the love you had at first, the fire you had, the oil you had, that intimacy, the way you would shed a tear in my presence, that doesn't happen anymore. You have big ministry right now, but very small heart impact. Big big ministry, very small intimacy. And and big ministry will never suffice for small intimacy. It, it, It won't, it just won't work. It doesn't feed the soul. And so he gives them a remedy. He says, go back, return and do the things you did at first. In other words, uh, realign your values to what I value, realign your, your heart, realign your values to what heaven values, go back and do the works of love you did at first. And there are even seasons in our marriage when I'll remember, oh wait, I haven't been opening the door for Emily <laughs> like I used to, or I haven't told her she's beautiful in a while, or I haven't sent her a I love you text just for the heck of it. And the more I go back and do these things that got us to love in the first place, the more I feel this refreshing that comes over our marriage that refreshes us and takes us to a whole new place. And and many of you, I feel like in this, this season, have felt really a staleness in your hearts, going from podcast to podcast, from, from conference to conference. And really, the only thing you need to do is just go back to the things that brought you that fire in the first place. It's really that simple. Was it prayer? I mean, it's always prayer, but it's like, was it intentional prayer? Was it, was it fasting? What, what were those things that brought you that first love because it's natural for us as humans to drift it's it's only natural and so I really feel like this summer is a season of reset realignment that will bring a refresh and in Acts the, the book of Acts there's actually scripture here that says repent so that times of refreshing would come repent so that times of refreshing would come. Another word for repent is to realign or reject what you're doing right here and possess Jesus again. It's not just a rejection of sin. It's a possessing of Jesus. It's a possessing of him. So um, I really feel like that, that is a word of the Lord for us in this season. But anyway, this morning, I want to continue this series on prophetic people. And I believe that as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, that there will be a greater and greater demand for prophetic voices on the earth. How many of you remember Kim Clement? Almost every month I go back to YouTube and listen to words that he's spoken to get hope for my country, to get hope. See, there are, there's nutrients in every prophecy that the Lord speaks that we're gonna need in the desert season. How many of you have realized that we're in a desert season right now in our nation? Just go to the gas pump and realize that. And we need nutrients from the word of the Lord 
to, to, to help take us to the next season. So prophecy. And I'm not sure how many of you have realized this, but the world right now, America, we are in desperate need of men and women who know the voice of God, who know his voice, who, who know him. And I believe the best way to know the heart of God is to know the voice of God. See, anyone in this room, we can go online and purchase a class to be ordained. Anybody in this room could go online and purchase a class on prophecy, but the anointing cannot be purchased online. Knowing the voice cannot be purchased through a course online. Knowing the voice comes by you going alone, shutting your door, staying there until he speaks to you. Knowing the voice, it's costly. And I believe to be a people of prophecy, we need both, yes, the knowledge of what prophecy is, but we also need the experience of the person. We need the knowledge of obviously the word of what prophecy is, but we also need the experience with the person. And Apostle Paul was really the best example of this. Paul, before he was Saul, we all know this, uh, he actually memorized the entire Torah. So he memorized what is to us the Old Testament. He knew scripture front and back, yet he still spent his life murdering Christians. So that will show you that knowing scripture alone will not give you love for Jesus. He had to know the scripture and have an experience with the person. He had to have Jesus knock him off his donkey (laughs) to have transformation. (laughs) The beautiful thing is the Bible scripture is Jesus in print. And when you read the word, you read Jesus, you experience him. The Bible is the only book in the universe where the author shows up when it's read. (laughs) The Bible, we need the knowledge of the word, the knowledge of prophecy and the experience. So this morning, I want to talk about the title of this message is prophecy is a person. Prophecy is a person. And if anything today, I wanna talk about prophecy in the context of first love and remind us that 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can operate in the spiritual gifts until you're blue, but if your heart is not burning with love for Jesus and for his bride, it is a clanging gong. <laughs> it, is, it is just noise. And so I wanted to, to really take us back to the fuel prophecy is what fuels prophecy. You can prophesy without first love, but you're just gonna be noise. <laughs> you're just gonna be a, a clanging gong. And so um, I wanna talk about that today because I believe the worst thing we can do is flow in the gifts of the spirit without knowing the person of the spirit. It's one of the most dangerous things we could do, walking in the gifts of the spirit without actually knowing the person of the spirit. So I wanna talk about how do we walk in the gifts while holding Jesus's hand? Walking while holding his hand. And I wanna remind us that Jesus is our reward. (laughs) I just wanna say that Jesus is our reward. Prophecy is not our reward. The promises aren't our reward. The promises are merely the vehicles that get us to our reward, who is Jesus. And A.W. Tozer said this, the early church prophets were successful to the degree that the church listened to them. The voice of the prophet today is seldom heard, not because there are no prophets speaking for God, but because the noise and clatter of culture has so invaded the church, not the world, the church, that they have drowned out that voice. 
And in the book of John, I said this a couple weeks ago, but Jesus is referred to as the word. That's his name in the book of John. So if someone's name is the word, then in my head, it's impossible for someone whose name is the word to never be speaking. (laughs) And the question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are our hearts tuned to the frequency of his voice? Or has the, the clutter of culture numbed us and inundated us away from him? And Matthew 24, Jesus gives a series of prophetic predictions of what the end times will be. I love Matthew 24, 25, 26. If you want to get your heart anchored in the end times, read those because Jesus is giving us uh, exhortation and prophetic uh, proclamation of what to expect in those last days. And the greatest warning he gives us in the last days is this, do not be deceived. (laughs) What are we seeing right now everywhere? Deception everywhere. I said it, I think maybe a year ago, but what, what are the two things that crucified Jesus? It was the political spirit married to the religious spirit. What do we see now running rampant on the earth? The same thing, <laughs> running rampant in America. And, and really the medicine Jesus gives us for the end times is this. He says, uh, be alert by praying Staying sober with prayer, being hot in prayer, and also by holding to his words, his prophetic words. So I want to suggest that prayer and prophecy are the key ingredients that will keep the church afloat and burning and on fire in these last days. It isn't going to stock up on toilet paper and water bottles, although that might be helpful one day. But it's getting a life of prayer married to a life of prophecy, of knowing what he's saying. And so I want to do really a, a quick review of what I taught on last time I spoke on prophecy. I want to just give a really quick basic overview of the practicality of prophecy, of what prophecy is, how do we prophesy, what does that look like? So we can go to slide one. So I said a few weeks ago, prophecy is both foretelling, you are telling the future. This is like uh, Joseph, the Lord gave him a prophetic dream to give him insight and wisdom on how to prepare for the coming famine that would happen in Egypt. And it is both foretelling, you are causing the future. This is like Ezekiel, the Lord uh, doesn't ask him to suggest these bones come alive. It says command that these bones come alive. So your words create worlds. They have the power to create worlds around you. You're, you're, that's, that's the power of the God-given breath in your, in your lungs. The purpose of prophecy is not to alarm us, but to alert us to the times ahead. It's not an alarming, a siren, but it's an alertness of an awareness. Not once in the Bible does it say, be alarmed. It says alert, be alert. There's a difference between alarm. Alarm means fear. Alert means I know the one in my boat right now. <laughs> I know the one in my boat who's taking me through this, this turbulent season. The gifts of the spirit versus the fruit of the spirit. Well, I said prophecy is a gift. It's not an award. So this is really big. See, the the gifts of the spirit, you get those by asking. It's not an award based on your character. It has nothing to do with how good of a relationship you have with God. The fruit of the spirit is the indication that a person has a thriving relationship with God. See, gifts are given freely, but fruit is cultivated with time and intimacy with Jesus. I said this before, Pastor David can't lay hands on me and impart his prayer life or impart his, uh, his intimacy with Jesus. 
Pastor David can't lay hands on me and impart his fruit of the spirit. (laughs) He can lay hands on me and impart gifts of the spirit, but the fruit of the spirit comes with time, being alone with Jesus, cultivating time. So don't follow someone just because they have great gifts. Follow them for having the gifts and the fruit. We don't have to choose one or the other, but I would take purity over power any day. (laughs) I want purity over power. You don't have to choose one or the other because I believe the Lord is raising up a generation who walk in both the power and the purity of his presence. You don't have to, Jesus does not need our compromise to win the lost. I just want to say that. We don't have to dumb ourselves down and become like the world to reach the world. That's not how the, that's not how it works. (laughs) You don't have, he doesn't need our compromise to, to change the world. no. No, it's, it's our purity. It's being pure and holy. So I want to move on. Uh, we can go to next, the next slide. Three parts to prophecy. This is really simple. <laughs> this is really what prophecy is. It's the revelation. You get a revelation. Some, sometimes that comes through a knowing in your heart. We talked about being a knower. Sometimes that comes through an emotion. You could be a feeler and you get the emotion. Uh, sometimes that can come through a dream, but there's always a revelation of what did God say? The second thing is the interpretation, and that is what does that revelation mean? And many times prophetic people can kind of, it can kind of fizzle out because you get this revelation and you're like, I'm on a roll. And then you try to force an interpretation. And I want to say, just because God gives you the revelation does not mean he also gave you the interpretation. And one of the beautiful parts of getting the revelation to someone is that it's up to them to take that revelation and go seek God and find the interpretation for themselves. So I want to say, when you give someone a revelation, a prophetic word, don't rob them of that interpretation. Don't rob them of that unless God has given you that interpretation. The last thing, the application. What do we do with the prophetic word? Um, Go to the Lord in prayer. Go to a trusted leader or pastor um, and talk to them about that. Uh, Let's go to not the next slide, but the slide after that. Yeah, so I didn't hit on this last time. I really want to hit on it today. I want to talk about types of prophetic dreams. I think this is so important because I, I looked it up. Studies show that we spend one third of our entire lives asleep. One third of your entire life is spent asleep. And so just because our bodies are silent for one third of the time does not mean God is silent for one third of the time. And so he uses this vehicle in our sleep called our dreams. And so I want to go through a couple, a few dreams. These are um, just some things that they, they taught us when Emily and I were at Bethel. They had an incredible school of dreams there. Uh, first one is a God dream. Obviously these are typically metaphors. These are usually uh, in metaphors. Um, you know, when we were in Bible school, a lot of people would have dreams about having lunch with Bill Johnson. They would say, I have to meet Bill Johnson. I have to have lunch with him. And it's like, no, no, no. Maybe Bill Johnson is a metaphor for God, the father, you know? So um, sometimes he can speak in metaphors like that. Holy Spirit is needed for interpretation. Almost always, every God dream always has a sense of holiness, awe, and peace. That's what God dreams are. They can all also be uh, warnings. God can give you a prophetic warning through a God dream. Next one is soul dreams. These are emotions, feelings, memories rising up for what your soul has been feeding on or meditating on throughout the day. So uh, I, I believe everything is spiritual. So I'm not gonna say soul dreams aren't spiritual. I think they reveal what Jesus needs to touch in our lives. Like, 
if you're having dreams of a traumatic event, that is a soul dream. And that's Jesus saying, you need to get that fixed. Um, sometimes that takes counseling. Sometimes that takes going to a therapist because, you know, I, I, I believe that if you go to therapy or counseling and you don't meet Jesus in it, you're going to stay bound. So I'm not against counseling and therapy, but if you go to counseling and don't meet Jesus, you're going to stay the same. Go to one, go to a counselor or a therapist that knows the Lord, that will lead you to his feet. So those are soul dreams. Next one is body dreams, which is you're hungry. How many of you went to sleep hungry and you have a dream that you're shoving ice cream cones down your mouth or, or going, I have, I have these dreams all the time. I'm like going through a pizza buffet. So <laughs> these are body dreams or some of you may have fallen asleep on your arm and you have a dream that your arm is cut off. Just weird stuff like that. So <laughs> number four, demonic dreams. Obviously these are fear and torment based. And what they taught us when we were in school is if you're in the dream, if you could somehow gain consciousness in the dream and realize I'm dreaming, ask yourself, where is Jesus? Or in the dream, shout the name of Jesus. And I promise you, everything will come to us. Halting stop. Because demons in hell know Bible more than we do sometimes. And they bow to that name. So ask. And when you wake up after having a tormenting dream, I would encourage you to... uh, Read, read scripture and pray in tongues. Why? Because the Bible says there's a washing that happens with the word of God. The word of God actually washes us. And when, you go th- when your soul goes through a t- tormenting dream, you have junk on you that you need the washing of the word to wash that junk off you. Or you need to pray in tongues because praying in the spirit says it builds us up. Tormenting dreams tear us down. And so sometimes we need to build ourselves up. And so you may be here saying, I've never had a prophetic dream before. Um, I've never... Talk to God through dreams. And so here's some tips I would give you to grow in prophetic dreams. Number one, ask God for them. (laughs) He is a good father. He does not give you a stone if you ask for bread. Ask God to give, to speak to you through your dream life. Number two is keep a dream journal by your bed or steward what you have. Steward the dreams you have and he'll give you more. This is a kingdom of increase. Uh, Whoever has, more will be given. Whoever does not have, more will be taken. So the more you go after this thing and communicate to heaven that I am stewarding this right, heaven will say, I can trust this person with more dreams and he'll deposit more to you. Third thing, always worship before you go to sleep. Turn the dang device off. (laughs) I'm telling myself that. (laughs) Worship before you go to sleep. Bill Johnson would always tell us, uh, if we want to have better mornings, we need to have better nights. If you want to wake up in a great mood, go to sleep worshiping. Go to sleep with your heart, your emotions pointed towards him. Because you'll already be in that mode. You'll already be in the spirit. All right. So next, I just want to give three keys for walking in both prophecy and intimacy. Walking in both prophecy and intimacy. First one, prophecy is built on the foundation of knowing Jesus. Revelation 19.10 in the Passion Translation says, This is John the Beloved. So keep in mind, this is towards the end of the book of Revelation where John the Beloved is seeing, I mean, 
promises, prophetic images, prophetic visions. He has prophecy coming out his ears right now out of all the stuff he's seeing about what is going to take place in the end times. He's seeing myriads of revelation. He's just overwhelmed. So he says, at this, at all this revelation, at all this prophetic insight, at this, I fell face down at the angel's feet to worship him. But he stopped me and said, don't do this. For I am only a fellow servant with you and one of your brothers and sisters who cling to what Jesus testifies. Side note, I am grateful for angelic activity in my life, but the quickest way to get angels to leave is to talk about them more than you talk about Jesus. (laughs) They are jealous that Jesus gets his worship. And so he is saying, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so amazed and enamored at all this prophetic revelation and he makes a mistake of worshiping the revelation and not worshiping the one who is giving revelation and he gets rebuked for it the angel says worship god the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy jesus is a person a prophecy is a person that's what i want to say prophecy is a person named jesus In other words, he's saying, don't idolize the promises, idolize and know the one who gives the promises. And I want to suggest that our effectiveness in prophecy is no greater than our depth of intimacy with the Lord. Our depth of intimacy with the Lord, knowing the person, prophecy is a person. Another way of saying this is if you want to know how to prophesy, get to know the person. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Um, A few years ago, I was in a season where I was kind of just in a dry place with the Lord. How many of you have ever been in those seasons before? I was just in a season where I knew that I was not seeking him like I should have been seeking him. And I, I just, I kind of just said, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to really press in. And I started really pressing in and getting to know him more. And all these prophetic revelations started coming to me. Like I, I've, I just entered a whole season of prophetic revelation. And one night in this season, it was actually an early morning, I had a dream And it was one of those dreams that felt like so real that it's like, you can't tell if this is a dream or reality. How many of you have had that before? And in the dream, um, one very close family member of mine got into a terrible car accident and died. And in the dream, it felt so real, the emotions, the grief, the pain, it was so real that I woke up and I had this heaviness on me that I just could not shake. It's like, I couldn't tell if I was still sleeping or not. And so I, I was trying to just go about my day. I'm like, maybe this is just a dream, but it felt like this wasn't just a dream. <laughs> it felt like the Lord was giving me something prophetic. So I got on my knees and I just began this, this groan, this prayer, this intercession started erupting from my heart for prayer and protection. And I heard this voice in my heart say, there is a reversal happening. There's a reversal happening. So I prayed and prayed and prayed until I felt that heaviness break, break over me. And then I just went about my day like nothing happened. And uh, we got a call that week that that same week, that same family member indeed got into a car accident. The car got completely totaled, but this person came out without a scratch on him. So yeah, you can give God praise. <laughs> All that to say, would God have saved this family member if I had never answered the urge to go and pray? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not God. I can't answer that. But here's, here's the point. God, I believe, has the ability and the power to enact and enforce his will on the earth, but he waits for lovers to co-labor with him and share these secrets of his heart and do it together. (laughs) He's looking for friends, guys. 
with prophecy. I, I just spit like a whole bunch. <laughs> when <laughs> he's looking for friends. <laughs> See, I believe the Lord right now in this hour, he has many singers, but few worshipers. He has many church planters, but few garden planters. He has many preachers, but few lovers. He is looking for friends of who can I share the secrets of my heart with? Yeah, I can enact my will if I want to, but that's why I created you guys. So we could co-labor and enforce heaven on earth together. The central theme of prophecy is friendship. And John the Baptist, I, I, I believe, I call the Holy Spirit heaven's wedding planner, and I call John the Baptist uh, Jesus' best man in the wedding. And the core principle of prophecy that I learned from John the Baptist's life um, is that John the Baptist's role was to break and prepare the way for Jesus to come on the earth. And I believe he was, a, he was a forerunner. And I believe the Lord is raising up a new generation of forerunners to break and prepare the way for his second coming on the earth. And John 3, 28, he says, I am not the Messiah, but certainly I am the messenger sent ahead of him. He is the bridegroom and the bride belongs to him. I am the friend of the bridegroom. There's that word who stands nearby and listens with great joy to the bridegroom's voice. So according to one of the greatest prophecies in the Bible, this is his recipe he gives us for how to be effective in prophetic ministry. Number one, stand nearby Jesus. And number two, listen to his voice. So in other words, proximity to his heart and attentiveness to his voice are the recipe to walking fully in the gift of prophecy. That's the recipe. John the Baptist is referred to as the last Old Testament prophet. And like I said, I call him Jesus' best man. If, if you've been to any wedding, I'm sure all of us have been to a wedding. But, you know, in my wedding, my best friend, I, I knew him since he was in second grade. Uh, he was my best man. And he, his role is to stand by my side the entire time up until the bride comes down the aisle. So as the bride, as the father is marching the bride down the aisle, once the bride gets to the altar, the best man's role changes and his role is to step aside so that there's room for the bride and for the groom to be together. I wanna say prophecy is not to point people to us, it's to point people to the groom. It's to point people to him. It's to make room for the bride the bride, the church of Jesus, and Jesus to be together, to be pure, holy, spotless. It isn't, it isn't about you getting it right or putting a feather in your cap. It's about you making room for Jesus and his bride together. I want to go to the second one. Key number two. Prophecy flows from identity. Prophecy flows from identity. I shared this story a couple weeks ago when I was growing up. I was really athletic. I loved to play outside in the yard and um, I would get thirsty like most kids do and I would drink out of the water hose. How many of you have ever drank out of the water hose? It's like life. And uh, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't taste too good, but when you're thirsty, you're thirsty. You don't care. And my dad's here this morning, but I remember uh, he, he told me, like, you can drink out of every single water hose except this one specific water hose because my, we had a pond in our backyard and my dad would drain the pond out every once in a while and all this junk, all this, all this stuff would come through that water hose. And he said, do not drink out of this one water hose. Am I right? 
And, and the, the issue is it's not the purity of the water coming through the hose that would contaminate it. It's the funnel itself that would contaminate the water. And I want to suggest that the gifts of the spirit prophecy is like pure water flowing through us. And if we have an identity that is deformed, that is not, 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 based on Jesus, then that water is going to come out contaminated through the filter of our own pain, through the filter of our own experiences, through the filter of our own identities. And so identity is huge when we're talking about prophecy. And identity is is a, a topic that I really feel like the Lord is highlighting in this house. I love the kingdom identity course that Josh Rubio began teaching last Tuesday. Um, but I really feel like it's, it's a topic that the Lord is emphasizing here. And I believe he's emphasizing it because where the Lord is taking us as a house, we can't have fractures in our heart. We can't afford to have dark places in our heart or fractures in our identity because the weight of God's glory, the next wave of his glory he wants to pour out on this house, it is so massive, it is so incredible that there, if there are fractures in who we are in Christ, it will crush us. It will crush us. And I told this story a few months ago, uh, but there was a pastor, an overweight pastor who pastored back in the day before there were cell phones. And he loved to go visit church members' houses. And he, was, he would go to these houses and he would end up breaking their furniture uh, because he was so big, they didn't have anything that could sustain his weight. And he came to the point where he would peek into the windows of these people's homes to see if they had furniture in place that could properly sustain his weight, the weight that he wanted to bring in. And in the same way, I believe God in this hour is peeking through the windows, churches, people around the globe, seeing who has the identity in place that can sustain the weight of glory that I want to pour out on my people. Bill Johnson said, the farther you go in God, the more you go, the farther you go in God, the less you can take with you. The farther you go in God, the less you can take with you. And I've discovered in my own life when the Lord expands me and grows me, it's not so much um, him giving me more stuff, it's him reducing me down to the point where it's only me and Jesus. (laughs) That's that's what uh, promotion is in the kingdom. It's like, the Lord takes his axe and chops you down and say, congratulations, you've just been promoted. It's like, this doesn't feel like promotion. This hurts. But that's promotion in the kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. And the Lord does this. He shapes our identity, I believe, in several ways. But one of the ways is through pruning. <laughs> that lovely word called pruning. And if we're not careful, we can, uh, I would say, misdiagnose God's pruning for a demonic attack or for uh, God's discipline. So I want to talk about just really quick these three things that God uses to shape our identity. And one of those, I've said God's pruning. And John 15, it says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so it will bear more fruit. So when God prunes you, that's actually a reward for your faithfulness, a reward for your fruitfulness. So being pruned by God is not discipline, it's actually a congratulations. You made it. You were fruitful last season. I'm going to cut this off so you can be fruitful in the next season. That's what God's pruning is. You can't rebuke God's pruning away. <laughs> you can't bind and loose God's pruning away no matter how much you try. The best thing you can do when God is pruning you is stay low and cling to Jesus. You'll make it. 
The second thing is God's discipline. And this isn't even bad either because he, as scripture says, he disciplines those what? He loves, he loves. So when God course corrects you or disciplines you, he's shaping your identity out of love. The next thing is demonic attacks. And first I wanna say God's pruning is never sickness. I just wanna say that because it is not sickness. When you are injured or, or you're sick, that is not the pruning of the Lord or God's discipline. The Lord is good. It's who he is in nature. That is a demonic attack. And so there's a lot of swirly theology out there. And I just wanna say that right here, that sickness is not God's pruning. So demonic attacks, they, they can either come by us doing something right Uh, The enemy wants to stop us doing something right or they come by doing something wrong. You can open up yourself to the demonic by what you listen to, what you feed your soul. And um, this takes us through the valley of shadows, which I said earlier, when you're going through the valley of shadows, don't make camp there. David said, yay, I walk through the valley. That means you go through it. It's a day of darkness. It's not a lifetime of darkness, okay? When you're going through the valley of shadows, just keep going, you'll make it through. So this is how he, he shapes our identity. He cuts away all the dross, all the, all the fat from our souls that, that, that we had in the past season. Because what we had last season, it will not sustain us in this next season that he's taking us. And so with identity, I want to talk really quickly about our nature as believers. I, I grew up in church my whole life, and I was really taught this theology. This is my theology of identity, is that As a Christian, I have two different natures, two different identities inside of me. One of those identities is a sin nature, a nature that does not love God, that does not want to worship God, that wants to do bad. And then on this other end inside of me is a nature of righteousness that wants to do good, that loves God, that has peace, joy, freedom, all that stuff. Based on what I'm feeding my soul, I'm either feeding the higher nature or the lower nature, and these two duke it out. Whichever one is fed the most wins. That sounds right, but it just is not biblical. It's not. <laughs> See, if God, this is where my, how my mind thinks, if God sent his son Jesus to come to, to earth to be humiliated, tortured, crucified on the cross, all for me and you to still struggle with the sin nature, then that would make him a cruel father, okay? He didn't come to to counsel our sin nature. He came to crucify it, okay? He came to nail it to a cross. And so Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. So at one time you had a sin nature. At one time, this was your way of life. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead and transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this is what the Lord did to us when Jesus died on the cross. He took your old man, that sin nature, he nailed it to the cross. When he died, that thing died with you. He left it in the grave. When he was resurrected, guess what? He didn't take that thing with him when he was resurrected. He left it there. When he was resurrected, he was resurrected with righteousness, peace, joy, freedom, and he made that your inheritance. Don't go back to the grave and dig up the old man. You have one nature inside of you. It's a nature of righteousness. That is our identities as believers. Why am I saying this? Because this is the place where we should prophesy from. 
we're in heavenly places. This is not a metaphor. This is really where we're seated. So prophesy from your heavenly seat. This is it. This is what he's done. This is our identity in Christ. I want to read this passage in Romans because I love, I love talking about identity. I spent an entire two years just feasting on who I am in Christ. Romans 6, 1 through 14. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all. That word died in the Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Spanish, French, it means died. <laughs> died means died. As a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into this union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into this union, sharing in his death by our baptism, means that we are co-buried and entombed with him, so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him, so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted in him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that he imparts. Verse six, could it be any clearer that our former identity is now forever deprived of its power? Our former identity is deprived of its power for we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us. Lastly, it says, let it be the same with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus. I want to suggest something that may rattle you a bit, if that's okay. <laughs> I believe one of the most crippling lies to believe when it comes to our identity, is that we are merely sinners saved by grace. See, Proverbs says that as a man believes in his heart, so is he. So you reproduce whatever you believe about yourself, whatever you believe your identity is. So if you believe I am a sinner saved by grace, then you'll just begin sinning by faith. Sin will naturally flow out of you. If that's who you believe your identity is, you were a sinner, but now you're dead to it. You are the righteousness of Christ. When, you, when that is your identity, what will naturally flow? Righteousness will flow out of you. The worst lie you can believe is that that is your identity. Please hear me. We need to know where we came from. We need to know where God saved us from, but let's not identify like that anymore. I identify from the righteousness of Christ of where he seated us. That's who we are. We're in a culture right now that is, that is shouting at our, at our children saying, you are what you feel. That's, that's, what I'm, that's what we're facing. You are what you feel. I want to say your feelings can be liars. Your feelings can be liars. Any thought or feeling that makes you confused or does not give you hope is under the influence of a lie. That's it. Many of you have heard my, my testimony, but I, I grew up knowing the Lord at a very young age. I met him. He marked me when I was very young. But at the same time, I believe anytime the Lord marks you at a young age, the enemy will also try to mark you <laughs> and try to thwart what God has done and try to taint that encounter. So I met God at a young age, but I also suffered from really extreme demonic attacks at a young age as well. 
from the age of two years old, I could not sleep by myself without, I had to sleep with my parents. I just, I would see uh, pictures in my head of demonic activity. It was just something that became really real to me. I was really aware of the spirit realm. And I, I grew up when I was in elementary school, obviously too big to sleep with my parents. And they're probably like, thank God. And <laughs> I moved to a sleeping bag and I would sleep at a sleeping bag in a sleeping bag right next to their beds. Cause I, I had to be close to someone. I would have fear come over me, just extreme fear, severe fear. In first grade, I cried almost every day because of separation from my mom. Uh, I could not look at someone in the eye and have a conversation because there was just this inferiority over me. And I, I was just so, I had this dark cloud over me most of my life. When I got into middle school, I moved from the sleeping bag to the couch. That way I could see their bedroom. And then I, I honestly, I couldn't sleep by myself until I was a freshman in high school. That's how bad the fear was, the torment was. So I began really seeking the Lord, like taking it super seriously when I was 15. I began getting in my word. And as I got in his presence, that stuff would just break off me little by little by little, just this stuff break off me. And I, I still had inferiority. I still had tons of insecurity I was dealing with. Uh, I remember, and it was, I was so fearful to, to hold a mic and speak. In 10th grade, I almost failed one of my uh, speeches because I, could, I was shaking when I was, when I was up there. And when I was 18, I went to Redding, California for a worship school. I've shared this before at uh, Bethel Church. And that was a season where I was just really hungry for God. I was really hungry for God to become real to me. And one of the mornings during worship, uh, leaders named Jonathan and Melissa Helser were leading worship that, that, that day. And as they were singing, this prophetic, it was almost like vision came to me. It's, it wasn't like an open vision, but it was almost like, how many of you have ever had God play, press play and have like a movie on your head? And I had like this, this vision. I knew it wasn't me because I couldn't come up with this, but they were singing this song and the song lyrics go like this. Whisper my name, so only I can hear. Call to my heart, chase away my fears. Stand up in this place, fight for the one you love. Won't you come surround me so I can rise above? Explode my soul, let these walls come down. All these prison thoughts crumble with the sound of my deliverance from my enemies. I stand up beside you, let's watch these giants flee. Explode my soul, explode with praise. And as I was worshiping, I saw this picture of myself, I had this garment over me, this garment with little uh, holes in it where light was trying to come from my identity, from my being. And on this garment, it had words like insecure, fearful, torment, anxiety, all this stuff. And I realized that this garment was not just something I wore, it was something I was. It was my identity. It was who I was. It had ingrained itself into my very being. It was like cellular within me. And in this dream, or not dream, this vision, I looked up and I saw the Lord standing up right beside me. And as I looked into his face, I just saw peace and my heart was filled with awe and wonder. And I, I saw him and what he said was, what are you doing wearing this? My son has already taken care of this on the cross. 
And immediately I saw his finger like lightning point and the scene changed to a cross. And on the cross, I saw my precious Jesus hanging there. And on that cross, I saw that garment nailed with him. And immediately at that revelation, that garment fell off me like that. And I began shining in the true identity of who I was supposed to be. See, Jesus crucified you. (laughs) He crucified that old nature. Don't empower anything that Jesus already killed. Don't empower anything that is already dead. And after that, I came back home and I was just completely changed. I, I was not the same person. That encounter was a tipping point for me. And what set me free was this one thing, beholding the crucified Jesus. We need to bring the cross back into the church. (laughs) The cross is not, it's not a, a, a doorway to fulfilling our hopes and dreams. And Jesus is not a fairy that makes our hopes and dreams come. The, the cross is a daily uniform of wood that we wear. It's the cross of Jesus the cross and some of some of us are are feeling that that same garment over us and you might be asking where's where's god at where's jesus and i want to say that the problem is god hasn't left but maybe you kept staring at him maybe you took one look away from the cross and that one look away turned into 10 looks away and 10 looks away turned into a lifetime of looking away from him the cross is the source of everything that we have To behold him. Behold means to hold with your eyes. In other words, it means to look at him and let that look turn into a stare and never stop staring at him. My question right now is, when's the last time you've looked at him? When's the last time you've had a revelation of the cross? Was it the day you got saved or when was it? When was it? I want to close right here. If I could have keys come up. The greatest form of spiritual warfare is beholding Jesus. It's beholding him. More will happen in one moment of looking at him than hours shouting at the devil. (laughs) That will just wear you out, make you exhausted. Smith Wigglesworth, many of you heard this story. The devil himself came into his room. He looked up, saw him and said, oh, it's just you and went back to bed. There was no binding or loosing. There was no shouting. Just, I'm not gonna give you my attention. I want to say that the greatest power you have over spiritual in spiritual warfare is the power of ignore. The power of ignore. See, this is where we get our, identif- our identities from. And I'm, I'm saying all this to say the, to the extent that we're healthy and whole in our identity is the extent of how powerful we are in prophecy. This is the main thing. Last thing I want to say is prophecy apart from intimacy is idolatry. Prophecy apart from intimacy is idolatry. Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out devils and perform miracles? then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I want us to be sober that it is very possible to live a lifestyle of flowing in the gifts of the spirit without actually knowing the one who gives the gifts. (laughs) And if anything this morning, I wanna say, yes, let's flow in the gifts, but let's flow in the gifts in their proper place. 
everything in the kingdom has a proper place. It comes secondary from looking at him. Benny Hinn always said this, always worship before you lean on your giftings. It will communicate to Jesus that you love him more than the gifts that he gave you. See, God trusted Solomon so much that he allowed him to make the biggest decision of his life in his sleep. It was a dream that he appeared to him and said, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want riches? Do you want wealth? He says, no, that doesn't satisfy. Wisdom to know you. That's what satisfies the soul. And that's where prophecy should flow from, from trust and intimacy, from friendship. I believe there's always an invitation for more. There's always an invitation to know him more. You know, I saw in 2020, an election year, I saw more uh, prayer and fasting than I ever have in my entire life. And we should. I'm, I'm not saying at all, don't pray and fast for a leader to be elected. That's not what I'm saying at all. More than ever right now, we need to fast and pray for godly leadership, righteousness to go into Washington, D.C. There's a pandemic of lunacy right now that we need Jesus to meet. Just want to say that. I'm not saying don't do that. But if, if the church is so willing to fast for a political leader to be in office, would we be willing to fast just so Jesus would walk into our bedrooms? Is he that worthy to you? Is he that, is he that worthy? If you, go, if you have to go on a 40-day fast just to see the Lord's finger, his pinky finger, go on 10 more 40s to see his entire hand. He's that worthy. He's that beautiful. He's the only one that satisfies. I want to close with this last scripture. In Exodus 33, verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, you've been prophesying to me. I've been getting prophecy and promises. I have prophetic promises more than I can count, but the prophetic words alone do not satisfy my soul. I need to know the one the prophetic words are coming from. I need to know you. I need to know you. The words alone aren't enough. They are the vehicles to lead me to you, but I need you. You are the one that satisfies. Moses refused to be content with the mere promises. He had to know the person the promises were coming from. Verse 13, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, Lord, so I may know you. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. You see, favor is not just airplanes, beach houses, jets, Mercedes, and all that. Favor is knowing God. Don't get me wrong. If God is handing out Mercedes, I'll, I'll be the first one to take it. <laughs> he can pay for the, the maintenance on that. But Moses equates knowing God with God's favor. Show me your favor. Show me your face. Another way of show, saying, God, show me your favor is, God, I want to see your face. It's your face I want. I want to suggest favor apart from intimacy will always give you idolatry. Favor apart from intimacy will give you idolatry. Moses wanted to know the ways of God and the ways of a person are different from the acts of a person. I can know what a person does, but that doesn't mean I, don't, I know who the person is. 
See, the, the, the children of Israel were acquainted with the acts of God, but Moses was a friend who knew his ways. The ways mean the person's uh, personality, what they're like, what moves them, what repels them. He knew God's ways. Many are acquainted with the acts of God, but few are acquainted with his ways. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the earth? This is one of my favorite passages. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, I don't even wanna go to the promised land. In other words, he was saying, Canaan is not the reward, you're the reward. (laughs) I don't want the promised land without the promised one. I'll be dry, I'll be empty. Only you have the words of eternal life. Never replace your dream with your assignment. Can I say that? I I just wanna say, Moses could have made Canaan his dream. (laughs) He could have made Canaan the main thing, but he put Canaan secondary and he said, knowing God is my dream. Canaan is my assignment. (laughs) I wanted to say to everyone, to operate in the gifts of the spirit, we must make the Lord Jesus, knowing him our dream, make everything else our assignment. There's a difference. Make Jesus your dream, make everything else your assignment. I I believe the Lord right now in this hour is, is, is separating, making a separation and a distinction between employees and lovers in the body of Christ. Employees are addicted to direction, but lovers are addicted to the affection of God. It's what they live for. Many dream of filling stadiums, but few dream of Jesus filling their bedroom. We need to get our priorities in order. The thing is when you consistently get him in your bedroom, there's not a stadium big enough that he won't fill. (laughs) That's just how he is. It's just how he is. Can we go ahead and stand? Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.